Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harms. Now on to today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Beth Bond, your hostess for EEN Mom Talks. I am very honored and um, very much looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today because I met uh, Patrice uh, back in December and it really changed my perspective about how we are getting our natural gas. So without further ado, let me go on and um, tell you a little bit about her and then we'll bring her on. Patrice Tomchek is the Pennsylvania Field Consultant and the National Oil and Gas Program Coordinator for Moms Clean Air Force. Patrice lives in Butler County, about 30 minutes north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where natural gas development is rampant. Her children go to school half a mile away from a natural gas well pad and a pipeline that puts 3,200 children's health and safety at risk. Patrice is passionate about public health and advocating for a healthy environment at home, school, and outdoors for children. She focuses on protecting children from the health and safety risks of oil and gas operations through education programs, advocacy actions, and policy work at the local, state, and federal levels. Her hobbies are exercising, reading, gardening, and sports with her son. Welcome, Patrice. Thank you. Thank you very much, Beth. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, and this conversation is so very, very important because I always tell people, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I, of course, have been around the block a little bit in environmental circles and, you know, was uh, knew about fracking and those kinds of things. But to actually participate in that fracking tour that we did back in December was completely eye-opening and quite frankly haunting um you know it it still just rolls through my mind about what's happening so let's talk about what's going on in south pennsylvania and and why this fracking issue has become such such a big deal in, in your part of the world well um you're exactly right beth you don't know what you don't know and this has become such a, a large issue because um, here in southwestern um, Pennsylvania, as well as actually the northeastern part of Pennsylvania and many other areas across the nation, um, there is natural gas and oil that is um, located in sh- deep shale deposits uh, that has previously been inaccessible. But with new technologies um, that we often call fracking, um, these have become available. And so many communities that um, have never had industrial um, industries right next to their homes, schools, parks, those types of things are are finding that this is an issue now. So let's let, one of the things I loved about you was your really deep knowledge of how the technology works, right? Because let's face it, this is not something gals normally talk about, right? We, we don't normally sit around and talk about the the mechanics of of fracking. So let's let's talk about like what fracking actually is and and um, <clears throat> sort of some of the things that happen in regards when one of these fracking pads go up. Sure, sure. So fracking, you know, is um, also the, the 
other term that is used is unconventional natural gas drilling. And so what that involves is the industry comes to the area, to a community, and they need an area, probably about four to seven acres um, for a natural gas well, and they um, come in and develop, they put down, lay down cement for an actual pad, and then what they'll do is they'll bring in these large rigs to actually um, drill. They drill down uh, vertic vertically, about a mile down, and then they'll turn that, and then they go out and use a different uh, drilling rig to go about, you know, there's different lengths that they can go horizontally. Um, so they're drilling down deep inside the earth, and then uh, what happens is they do little explosions down inside the earth, down at that mile depth. And next what they'll do is they'll put a mixture of water, chemicals, and sand down into the earth and under very high pressure. And what this does is it takes those little fractures, opens it up, the sand sticks inside those fractures, and holds open those areas so the gas can flow up freely. Now what happens is you're putting chemicals down into the earth that were not supposed to be there. Um, some of those chemicals and the water come back up along with other things that are deep down in the earth that are can be toxic. And so the water comes up, it's a huge amount of water and uh, that goes down, not all of it comes back up. But then you have a problem with all this waste, this chemical waste. Um, also what happens with this industry when it comes, it's, it's an industrial process. And so what happens is there's pollution created during every stage. Um, of the development and so that's what is very concerning when we talk about the environment and when we talk about um, public health you know especially children's health you know children are so vulnerable to um, any kind of environmental onslaught you know and it can be um, have effects for a very long time because the children are so young so that's um, what happens is uh, after the water comes back up, the gas will come up back up, and eventually it'll be gas. And then these well pads don't stand alone. You need pipelines to get it to different places. Um, you need what's called compressor stations to push the gas through these pipelines. And then it needs to go to other places like processing stations um, to separate out different parts of that gas. So there's a whole infrastructure involved with this. And um, we're seeing huge amounts of, in Pennsylvania, we have over 10,000 of these well pads, um, wells actually here, so it's a large amount. Other states have large amounts of these happening too. And so these are little industrial, well, they're actually large industrial processes that are happening in communities impacting the local people but also, you know, creating lots of pollution um, going up into our atmosphere, affecting people that are not even local, that are, you know, downwind from this across the state and, um, you know, are contributing to issues with our um, environment today.
Well, and I want to sort of set this up a little bit because it was just so shocking, right? I mean, I I was so grateful that God made that happen because I feel like like all the things confluenced together for me to be up there with y'all. If people are out west or they've traveled out west and they think about those, I call them like dipping goose heads, which are the old-fashioned oil wells, right? Those actually, uh, you know, it's going to sound sort of funny, but those are actually – completely different than what we're talking about. Like those things sit out there and they just dip their little heads and there's not a lot of noise or anything. But what you're talking about is you've got, they've got to remove once that water chemical mix comes back, they've got to remove it. So we're talking about constant. I was just stunned by how many trucks are back and forth into it. I mean, I think we were standing outside at one of the pads and we counted 14 trucks and we were there 15 minutes, a truck a minute. I mean, you know, diesel trucks. I mean, it's, it's, can you imagine living in like this farm area and then have all these trucks? Um, and then the other thing is, is um, when we think about fracking is, is like, well, you can bend it. And so my, my assumption was, well, you bend the pole and then you sort of move the, the one thing, but they're not doing that. They're, they're putting in a cement pad and then they're putting in multiple drills. So let's talk about what a frack pad is and why they're not just putting in one hole and they're actually making, like, multiple drilling holes. Sure. And and so there's a difference between um, conventional uh, drilling and unconventional drilling. And so conventional is the ones um, that you're talking about. You've seen um, the derricks, the oil derricks, pumping up and down, and, and those are used in unconventional too, but historically the conventional ones um, are what you see with those little um, derricks, and those have been around for 65, 70 years. Um, they're often, you know, you can see them on farms, you know, sometimes farms can access them. They're shallow. Um, it's not the high pressure issue that we're talking about. It's one poke in in the ground, um, and then what we're talking about with unconventional is it's one it can be one poke in the ground, but then um, the part that goes out horizontally. If you think of like a fork with the tongs, um, there can be several um, horizontal. Um, or what we call lateral leads coming out from that in each direction. And so there's a lot happening underground that you don't see. And on each well pad, you can have multiple wells. And there's a new thing that has recently had attention, and uh, they're called super super pads. And so in the past, we've seen, you know, maybe – 10 or 15 wells on these well pads. Now they're up to like 40 here in Pennsylvania and in Texas. I've heard of ones being up to like 69 individual wells on these well pads. And it takes time to develop each one of these. So you're talking about years of truck traffic, like you you said, a thousand trucks on average per well. Um, and you times that by the number of wells on each pad, and then the amount of time, it can be years to actually develop these large pads, and all the time there is air pollution and health and safety risks happening during those periods of time. So this is, you know, a large industrial process that's going on, and um, currently, you know, we're, we're fighting to get um, better protection 
for the communities that have this happening near them. So um, I have pictures on um, the Facebook page, Evangelical Environmental Network, from the, the tour, so people want to sort of get an idea. Because the other thing is, and I just, I'm like, this is like beautiful, precious, historic land we're talking about. Like, you know, this is where George Washington was running around in the, the French-Indian Wars. And um, it just has all this amazing history. And yet the other thing is, is this, and they're just digging up all this land. And I know it'll get reburied, but it's just, it's it's so crazy to me that they're just digging up all this land um, and they basically take eminent domain um, to put in all these pipes. So, I mean, it's, yeah, they won't be digging up for the pipes forever, but you know, the, the, the reality of it is, is it is just absolute constant destruction and noise happening in y'all's area right now. Yeah. And, and the legacy continues, you know, um, and so the pipelines are going to be there for an extremely long time. And, you know, everything under the ground with the well pad is going to be there for an extremely long time. And, you know, puts the people who live near it, you know, their their health and safety at risk because you can ha- run risks of water contamination. There can be actually just a couple weeks ago there was an explosion or an, I should say an accident in Ohio very near where we are in Pittsburgh. And they've had to evacuate um, folks within a mile. And as of yesterday, it's been 14 days and those folks are not back in their homes. And so when we think about things like this, in in my instance, where the well pad is located just a half a mile away from my children's schools, if there were something that would happen at this well pad and they needed to evacuate 3,200 children, that's a big issue. That creates a huge amount of mayhem, and it's very concerning um, because what happens, um, not only is my school, there's there's several schools that are near, located in, in close proximity to gas well pads or oil well pads. It, it, it creates a large issue um, of this risk always being there, you know, and so this is unfortunately a, a risk that we would rather not have for our children. Well, and the and the reality of it is, and this is the other thing that just was stunning to me, was the complete lack of um, personal rights, like for your property or for the concern of your kids. Like there's not public hearings for this stuff when these things are proposed. Um, neighbors just say, hey, y'all can frack here. And, and, you know, the neighbors don't have any input. And, you know, sort of this eminent domain issue, I just... The, the 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 lack of what I would just consider core American values of like, well, if you're going to be next door, I should have input. You're going to, you know, tear across my farm. Well, I should have input. Um, you're going to put this next to my kids. I definitely should have input. And none of that happens, right? Well, it, it, it probably can in some some cases. Um, the when I've been involved, um, it's it's been difficult. Um, so what often happens is a community becomes very divided, and it's a shame because, um, you know, as a community, you want to join together and you want to work towards progress. And so in comes this industry, and for those who own their land, there's, there's two parts of this issue is the surface rights 
in the mineral rights. And sometimes they can be separated and sometimes they can be together. And so sometimes somebody has a house, which would be surface right, but they don't own what's underneath the mineral rights, meaning the gas or the oil that's underneath the earth. And so that can be sold out from underneath them for whoever owns that. And what can happen is that um, they can have drilling happening right underneath their homes, not reap the monetary benefits, I guess, and having all of the risk. And beyond that, what often happens is, you know, if a neighbor owns, let's say, their surface rights and the mineral rights, they can place a well pad on the edge of their property away from their home, but very near to your home. And you, again, are, are, putting, are having all the risk and all the safety issues uh, be a burden on you and your family. So it becomes a very divided um, issue. And, you know, amongst those who want this um, to happen, to get um, for whatever reason, and those who are very concerned about their the health and safety of their families, their communities. So, and, and it doesn't have to be this way. It's the shame, you know. It, it, we can all work together. But um, that's kind of the state of where it is right now. Well, and so, of course, you know, in the age of disinformation, um, people will say, well, we, there's a lot of positives that come out of having this industry and in our, you know, it's creating jobs and, and that kind of thing. And, but, you know, based on, on what we know, the, the negatives, at least in my mind, really outweigh the positives. Um, but this also makes the conversation publicly, if there is a public hearing, very contentious. Right. Right. And so, you know, the, the, Jobs issue, there are jobs to be created by the natural gas and oil industry. Um, and what we say is that, you know, we do not have to sacrifice health for jobs, okay, and let alone my children's health for somebody's job. That is morally not correct and not right. We can have jobs and we can have health. Uh, they can it doesn't have to be an either-or issue. And then the other thing that, you know, um, I often hear is that, you know, natural gas um, is better for the environment, um, better than burning coal. And that is true. You know, as far as power generation, when we look at power plants, uh, often they use coal, which is extremely dirty and gives a lot of air pollution and has a lot of other um, issues with the waste. Um, when you burn natural gas, it is much cleaner, um, but uh, like 50% cleaner. But the issue that comes with that is that, you know, number one, we're still dealing with fossil fuels, so we're still dealing with, you know, a lot of issues with air pollution. But the other thing is that it, the process to get it out of the ground is um, very much has a lot of um, issues as far as air pollution, water pollution, and so it puts the communities at risk who are right next to it, you know. And that's also a moral issue. You know, you, you, you can't sacrifice um, 
you know, communities, families, children to to get oil and gas out of the ground. You know, that's not okay. And so at the point that we're at right now, this, you know, we have in Pennsylvania over 10,000 wells already there, already drilled, already um, creating pollution. So we need to rein this in and deal with what we have today and make it as safe as possible with what we have today for communities. And so one of those things that we can do is advocate for um, better safeguards, protections um, on this industry. And I think that's extremely fair. If you're going to come into a community, you need to respect the community, the community's health, the community's rights. And so things that we can do is have, like, methane rules. You know, this is capturing methane is the main component of natural gas, and um, it also is a very potent greenhouse gas that contributes to um, a changing climate. And so what we can do is capture the methane gas, um, which is a product that they sell anyways, and when you capture that, you also capture the um, accompanying toxic co-pollutants, things that make people sick, things like benzene that causes um, childhood leukemia, you know, also is a potent neurotoxin. There's a whole host of other things that come up out of the ground along with, you know, the natural gas or the oil that can really impact health. And if we can capture that, at least we can make it a little bit safer, you know, for those people who are living next to it. Right. Well, I, I want to um, uh, sort of couch this conversation about coal versus natural gas. Um, so natural gas isn't really better. It's just less bad. <laughs> it's still bad. But <laughs> That's a good Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm like, let's talk about what's better. Uh, a solar field that makes no noise and has no pollution <laughs> in regards Absolutely. to the collection of the energy, right? That's better. Um, so anyway, yeah. So that I think this has been really, really helpful and um, will help us get into sort of the, the, the second part of our conversation. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EEN Moms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore Moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. Okay, so we've spent quite a bit of time sort of dealing with the the technical side of it and sort of the impacts that happen on the community. Um, but let's let's take a turn and tell us why you got involved in this issue. Because I mean, really, this is not things that girls do, right? Right. I was not looking for um, a battle. So, just to give you a little bit of background. Um, when we moved into the house that we're at currently, it was about nine years ago, and 
a month after we moved in, my son, three-year-old son, uh, developed leukemia. And as you can imagine, that turned our world upside down. And that's when I um, discovered faith, became very religious, and um, what we, we changed our lives. And we changed how we viewed life, how we served in this world, and also um, how we looked at it. And one of the things that I discovered is that we live in a very toxic world. Um, and so I was determined to, after after a month of my, my son receiving intense um, treatments, you know, thank God, his cancer was gone. Okay, he was in remission. But we had three and a half years more of chemotherapy to go through. So it was a very long road. And during that time, I wanted to make sure that that cancer did not come back. So we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And we also took action. And so I made sure that my son's life was as toxic-free as I could possibly control. We cannot control everything in the world, right? But what I could control, I wanted to control. And so when I found out that um, fracking was coming to my town, I did not know that when we moved in. There was no sign of it, although the land was bought up by the oil and gas industry. I had no clue. I didn't know to look for that. I was unaware. Um, and I learned that fracking was coming to our town because it was announced through our school board. Um, they were um, petitioning or going after our school board with a lease to sign the mineral rights from right underneath the school to drill under the school for natural gas. And so the school board had to announce that. And I found out four days before they were going to vote on whether they would accept a lease or not that this was going to happen. I had no clue about this industry. I had read articles about it, you know, happening nearby in a county. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a shame, right? Um, right. But when it comes to your backyard, you're, you're like, oh, this is reality. And so in four days, um, a large group of us parents came together. We didn't know each other, and we signed a petition. We got 900 signatures in four days. We went to that school board meeting, and we we presented that to the school board. There were over 200 people. It was You couldn't get in <laughs> to the room. And, you know, we all spoke up about how, no, we don't want this industrial process happening close to our children. This just doesn't feel right. There's a large, you know, health and safety risk. Thankfully, the school board voted it down. So, you know, I want everybody to know that their voice matters. And when you, you join up with other community folks, you are powerful. And so this was a huge win for us. But it didn't stop. We quickly realized that that would not stop the well pad um, that was sited half a mile away. So as a community, we came together. We did several actions. We uh, went to um, 
repeatedly went to our school board. We went to our local municipality and said, oh, we don't want this near our kids. We, f we went and gathered all our facts, presented all that information. Um, so and then we went to our um, state senators, representatives. We went to everybody that would speak to us. We went to our state regulatory agency, and we wrote letters. We put uh, wrote letters to the newspaper to get the issue out there, to, to show that this was something that we didn't want. And um, we were very, very effective in, in those things. We did um, a few um, press conferences to bring light to the issue, and um, we also asked for the oil and gas operator, the person, uh, the, the company who was going to be putting that well pad in, we asked for a meeting with them. We wanted to go over a list of things that, you know, hey, if this does go in, you know, here are things that we want to make this less of an impact for our children. So we were looking at it at all different fronts. Of course, we did not want it near our schools. We asked for them to move it um, outside of the uh, evacuation zone, outside of a two-mile zone. Unfortunately, they said no, they would not do that. Um, and so we continued to have the drumbeat going on. Um, and then what happened ultimately was that um, the township, you know, is made up of supervisors. And supervisors have um, had oil and gas leases too. Um, so unfortunately, we kind of felt like we didn't get um, acknowledged or, you know, people weren't listening at our local level as well as we would have liked them to have. Um, and so ultimately what happened is that um, they changed the local ordinance to allow oil and gas drilling everywhere in the township. This was a huge setback for us. And, um, but we did, we still persevered. Um, and so as a last resort, what we had to do is enter into litigation. And so um, we continued all of our actions, you know, at the public level, but we also had to do litigation. And sometimes it resorts to that, unfortunately. And um, it, the litigation is still playing out. It's at the state Supreme Court at this point. Um, and we're hopeful for a positive ruling that will um, impact any kind of future drilling in the state. But unfortunately, at the same time, we, we knew there was a risk. Um, the well pad did go forward. Uh, we could not stop that. However, um, there were cited to be six wells on that well pad, and only two of them have been developed. So we feel that we made a huge impact, and there haven't been um, any other wells developed near the schools since then. So having all of this public um, information, our public um, outcry we feel has really made a big difference because 90% of the land 
in the township is leased to oil and gas. So there could certainly be so much more going on. But we said, no, we want our children protected, we want our children safe, and we want our community safe. You know, so this is the power of communities uniting. Um, and uh, we, we feel that this is um, a wonderful story or an example of people coming together for a good reason, you know, to protect children, to protect the community. Well, and I'm going to give a Bible verse um, that I really hold close to my heart um, because, you know, we are called in, in, the, in the New Testament to, to the people of action. So this is 1 John 3.18, um, reading from the New International, the NIV, New International Version. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I don't, I can't think of a, a more apropos verse to say, y'all, come on, got to get up off, you know, off the couch and you've got to do something. And I think that you're absolutely right. And I did some community organizing, organizing around a Walmart coming into my neighborhood. And what I learned was, is you don't necessarily do the community organizing because you can stop it, but you do the community organizing so you can get the best position possible. And so because we did community organizing, I mean, we walked into a public hearing with 1,800 signatures. We, it took us 11 weeks to get 1,800 signatures. Like, I want to know how you did 900 signatures in four days because that would have saved me a lot of time. But, um, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, you want a seat at the table. And so, um, I mean, people are like, well, you didn't win, quote, unquote. And I'm like, the reality of it is, is what we think is a win is never, you know, it's, it's the wins can be in so many different ways. So the fact that they didn't do six wells, hashtag huge win, right? Because um, now you've mitigated by 60% the amount of things that can go wrong. Um, you know, I, I hear you about the township, but now with all the organizing, they know the, the elected officials. And P.S., if you really want to get them scared, somebody should run against one of the township people now really get them riled up right that's a whole different level of commitment that you know someone really has to be called to do so i mean i i think what i'm hearing from you is 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 that we did a lot of work we didn't get what we we thought we wanted but we got a lot more accomplished and the reality of it is is you know they can they can put in sort of those township things that you were telling us about but those can be overturned you know, yeah, it got in now, but when things sort of die down or you get somebody elected, those things can be overturned. So, you know, it, it may not feel like a, it may feel like a loss at the time, but, you know, you just keep on plugging. Because another thing that happens is, is people stop paying attention and then you, you can really get stuff done. So, um, you know, that's what, that's how Congress gives themselves raises all the time. You know, it comes out, they're giving themselves a raise and then nobody pays attention. They slip it in on some other bill and all of a sudden they've got a raise. So I just want to honor and lift and support all the hard, hard work because it's not easy getting up there. You know, it's uh, public speaking and, and talking to neighbors and you never know what your neighbor's going to think until you actually have the conversation. It's, it's, um, it's, it's challenging work, but it's rewarding work, too. And, you know, all the time our focus was on children. And so actually in our group we had people who were very supportive of fracking. 
they just didn't think that it should be so close to schools or home. You know, you shouldn't be impacting people. So, you know, there were people in our group who, you know, had different views, different ideas, but our common core was that we wanted to protect our children, and we never lost sight of that. You know, and I think that that is truly a um, something that everyone can relate to, right? You know, we all want to protect children and our family. That is just born inside all of us, you know, and uh, I think that's a very common um, common denominator for group and communities, you know, to do their work. Well, and one of the things about children is, is, is a lot of time in our in our circles with evangelicals, people are like, well, they're nature, you know, the environmental community is nature worshipers. And you know, I'm not going to get into that conversation, but we have to remember that when we're talking about caring for God's creation, the most precious, valuable, tender relationship and creation that God gave us was our children. And if we can't protect our children, you know, we're missing the whole conversation about, you know, you know, protecting God's creation. I mean, what's more precious than our children? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, um, so you're continuing the work. Um, I want to I switch the conversation a little bit um, about how people in your area, so you, I mean, you, you've done the work in your township and you've got that under, but like how can people in sort of the greater Pittsburgh metro area help on this issue? And then let's talk about how people who are outside the state can help. Sure. So, you know, in the greater Pittsburgh area, um, there there is the threat of, you know, the, the industry moving in almost everywhere. Areas previously that we thought um, were not going to be able to have industry move in, um, we're seeing that happening now, today. And so this is an issue that impacts everybody here locally. And um, what they can do is become extremely aware. And so they need to know what's happening at their local levels, you know, at their municipality levels. And they need to understand where the industry is. What also needs to happen is that, you know, people need to speak up. They need to do things like writing letters to the editor of, of the newspapers and the media outlets, explaining, you know, what their viewpoints is, you know, what they want to do as far as protections. This is important because, you know, the people who make the rules um, for this industry are, are state legislators and our federal, you know, the Congress. And so they read local media papers to get an idea of, you know, what's the mindset. And so they need to hear that, you know, people don't really want this, you know, right next to their homes and their schools and their their parks. You know, they don't want this to happen. So that's very important so that, you know, people who are making the rules hear what's happening. So, you know, just getting involved in writing letters directly to them, you know, signing petitions, Moms Clean Air Force, you know, which is um, – who who I do uh, the work for, 
um, that we have petitions online. It's very simple to do things like that, to sign a petition. It shows the power of the people collectively, but also the individual actions are very important too, like the writing of the letters. You know, so these are things that people can do, you know, very um, – uh, every day, you know, on their, their own or collectively. Showing up to meetings, do, showing up at public hearings, those types of things, giving your voice. You know, I walk into representative's office, and if they say, well, you know, nobody else has been in here, you know, talking about this, then I say, okay, I'm going to be back with a whole bunch of people. You can be assured of that. You know, so they want to hear from, from people, and it, that's extremely important. Um, and um, in regards to nationally, you know, what happens is um, at the national level, the Environmental Protection Agency sets the floor, um, so to speak, for all the states to follow. Um, and so we need protections established that, you know, all states are undertaking. And so that's what the job of the EPA is. Unfortunately, right now at this point, um, the administration is looking at uh, rolling back, loosening, rewriting a lot of these protections that are in place. And that's extremely disheartening um, because they're there for a reason. They've been proven that they're needed. There's a long process that goes into making those types of uh, protections at the at the federal and at the state levels, but at the federal level, there's a whole process behind that showing that these are needed, and to roll them back is really putting our our families, our communities, our children in jeopardy, and so people need to speak out against that. You know, um, this administration needs to know that people, you know, want these protections, and so writing the same kind of thing, writing letters to the editor about this. You know, and, and Moms Clean Air Force has a whole toolkit on taking actions. You know, getting together with your neighbors and having a house party is one of the things that we, we talk about doing, and we have a whole setup for that. It's just getting people involved, getting people motivated, getting people to take action against, you know, what they feel they need to have as far as protections for um, their families and communities. Well, and and you know, once again, this God called us to be in community. He did not call us to be in isolation. And so, one of the things I love about doing uh, public work like this is the relationships you build with, you know, your neighbors, and um, you know, those relationships go much further and deeper than whatever the issue in front of you. Now, look, I'm sure you didn't think you were going to sink, you know, decades of your life into this issue. And I'm not saying all of them go away easily. But the going back to um, the Walmart story um, in my neighborhood, I still have, you know, uh, many, many, many of those connections, and they're such a blessing in my life. But the other thing I want to point out is, is that um, there's the power of one, are the power of a few. So um, if you do political organizing work, um, there's this, this this calculation, this formula. If one person calls, because people don't talk to their congresspeople. They may yell at them on Twitter, but 
you know, they don't really engage with Congress people. They're very Congress people for the most part are very isolated. And so if one constituent calls in on an issue, they have a calculation of a say, okay, if, there, if one person calls in, then that represents a certain number of my voters in my district. So, you know, if one person comes in, it's like, oh, hey, well, that's, I, I don't know the math, but it's like in the hundreds, it's like 1500 or something like that. Um, and I'm sure we can Google it and, and figure it out what the number is. But if one person calls in the congressional office or state rep office, oh, well, okay, that's on the radar. If five people call in, it's considered like a catastrophe. Five people, five people. Just, I mean, it, just think about it. It just takes five people to really get uh, an office um, of an elected official engaged. And especially on the local level, um, you know, I'm, people are sort of intimidated about talking to these, you know, oh, politician. Um, Y'all, they get out of bed just like everybody else. They put on their skirt or their pants just like everybody else. So um, treating them like a human being and a neighbor (laughs) instead of like some pedestal thing, like I I can't talk to a politician. is so vitally important. And, you know, you have to show up. And um, Patrice, we have a really good example of this story over in your neighboring state of Ohio where these women – just started coming in every single week to their congressman's um, office. Every single week they were there. And if he was there, they would say good morning to him. And, you know, it, it finally they built this relationship with him that he just expected them to be there. And then conversations and action actually came out of it. So I, I don't in, want anyone ever to be so intimidated and thinking, well, you know, I can't do anything. And the reality of it is, is you can call your congressperson and, Colorado or Alabama or Georgia um, and say, look, this fracking issues, the methane issues, this is important to me and we cannot allow the EPA to roll it back. Or, you know, if the EPA is going to roll it back, then we need to create legislation to really codify it and not allow the EPA to roll back in the future. So I just want to really want to encourage people. And yeah, it's not and everyone's sort of ballywick, but if you knew that one phone call could have put it on the radar for your elected official, wouldn't it be worth it for your kids? I just, to me, it's like if, if, if you love your kids and you knew that one phone call could be the difference and then asking four friends to make a phone call, wouldn't, wouldn't that small be worth for your children's health? Absolutely. You know, you you put it very, very well there. You know, so the actions do get recorded, you know, and they have to record them every time that somebody uh, calls in and they tally them up. And whenever it becomes a big enough, uh, enough tally marks, so to speak, they, they say, oh, wow, I better seriously address this. So I want everybody to feel that they do have a voice. And it's extremely um, powerful to physically also go in if you have the time, you know, uh, to go in and sit down. All you have to do is call and say, you know, I'd like to meet with, you know, so-and-so. And sometimes you don't meet with the, the congressman directly, but they have people in the office that handle, like, environmental issues or public health issues, you know, and they will relay the message, and those are good people to meet with. And so just, and you don't have to be nervous about going in. All you need to do is tell your story, 
tell it from the heart, come in, you know, with facts if you enjoy facts, but that's what they want to hear. They want to hear from people, you know, and, um, you know, the more people, uh, if you can get, you know, your your network, you know, your your family, your friends, and those people motivated to, to call in even better. I, I just, I feel like we should just take a moment of silence and let it all sink in, right, um, to really understand that um, this is a democracy. We may not feel like it's a democracy, but but we all participate and we all have the ability to um, influence positive change. Okay, that's that's as long as I can be quiet. So, um, Patrice, <laughs> it's hard for me to be quiet. Ask my family. So, um, let's. Um, I want people to get informa- uh, contact information for you. Like, where can they get more information? Where can they sign the petitions? Do you all have an email list that are keeping people up to date on this? Is this all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah. If you um, if you just you know go on to our website and it's momscleanairforce.org, you can find all kinds of information, all kinds of actions, whatever you feel comfortable with, you know, um, that you can do. And so, if you go to that website, you'll be able to see it. We have um, folks just like me and a lot of the states, not every single state, but a lot of the states that you can connect with. And um, there are petitions there for you to sign. Um, and, you know, we have a toolkit there to help you take actions, you know, to tell you how to do um, uh, different actions. And, you know, you can always reach out to me. And my email is P as in the letter P for my first name, Patrice. P and then my last name Tomcheck T O M C I K at momscleanairforce.org. So we will we're always happy to connect people and to to help them and guide them into making their voices heard because we do have the power and you know when we join together we're even stronger. Excellent, Patrice. I knew this was going to be a good conversation, but it's been so much more rewarding than I even thought it was going to be. Thank you so much for your time. I just greatly, greatly appreciate it. And I just, um, we're going to be praying because, I mean, that's the thing that I walked out. One of the major takeaways for me is, is we just need to be praying to lift y'all. It's not easy. It's not always pretty. But um, just know that there are, are, you know, thousands of moms who are going to listen to this and be praying and supporting and lifting the very important and 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 truth battle that you are fighting up there. Well, I, I that touches me so incredibly much, and I am very appreciative of being on this this program and being connected with you, Beth, and everybody else who's out there. You know, thank you so much. It's um, when you were on the tour with us and. Um, uh, some of the other folks who were on the tour, and we all had a circle, and um, everybody was praying for all of us there. I f- walked away that day feeling empowered, feeling loved, and so I appreciate all the prayers and, you know, that oh, 
that you all are sharing with us. So we need it. Thank you, and um, God bless. Yeah, God bless you, too, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Beth. Bye-bye. I want to take a minute um, to talk about the power of prayer. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to be clear that um, if you didn't get the, uh, the, the address for the website um, I've put in the show notes, a link to mom's clean air force. Also EEN is doing work on methane in Southwest Pennsylvania. And so I've put a link there also, so you can um, get more information. So she's talking about this prayer. So we're standing on top of this hill where um, people are homesteading, and homesteading is basically just having their own little uh, their own little farm, you know, very very much sort of a reckoning back to uh, 19th century. And you know, they've got chickens and goats running around, and yet they have a on the next hill from them, so about a mile and a half away, they have this fracking pad, and it's just you can just see the trucks just you know, going up to the top of the hill and you can just hear all this noise pollution coming off the side. I mean, the noise pollution alone. And then we found out that it um, operates 24 hours a day. So not only are they dealing with noise pollution there, you know, their little bucolic little farm is destroyed and they can't sell the land because who wants to live next door to a fracking pad? And, you know, just standing there and feeling the immensity of the situation. Uh, We were there with a group of uh, United Methodist women and this woman just burst out. She goes, I don't do this ever. I don't ever do this. But can we just all pray publicly together? And I'm just going to lead the prayer. And it was an amazing, abundant, abundant uh, movement of the Holy Spirit through that group. And um, I, I just wish I could share that feeling because it was, I mean, this woman was like, I don't do this. I'm going to do it. And so I think I think that's what's a, another really important takeaway is is you know before you call and if you're nervous um, and even if you're not nervous before you call your local politician or your congressperson say a prayer pray for them that their hearts will be open to your message pray that they will respond um, pray that the Holy Spirit will move through them even if they're not with you on an issue that um, the Holy Spirit will um, you know move through them. So vitally important, and if we can center ourselves um, and know that God is so much bigger than any politician we're going to call, um, I think that just makes um, the conversation a lot easier. And um, you know, we can I can throw you a bunch of Bible verses to lift you up. So anyway, thanks again to Patrice. She is one of the most valued relationships that I um, have developed through this work. I just respect her so much and you know knowing that her child had to go through chemotherapy for three years and he was resting on the the bed of prayers from her uh, church community is just so vital so um we move on to the next one do me a favor though um, if you're listening to this can you share this with folks and just you know let them know that uh, we're doing this podcast. We are we are pouring into moms. We are pouring into lifting and uh, honoring the work they're doing, the most important job they'll ever do, which is raising their kids, but also how they're learning, how caring for God's creation is um, a reflection of their love back to Jesus and the, the gratitude for the, the gifts that children are. So I hope you'll share this. Um, we're still waiting for iTunes, but you can listen to us on Stitcher or you can listen to us directly on the Internet. And um, thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of EEN Mom's 
Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org, and we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. 